Welcome to the Save What You Love podcast. I'm Mark Titus. Today we're speaking with Russ Ricketts. Russ is a good friend of mine. He is a river snorkeler and um, a father and a person who is concerned about this planet that we live on. I couldn't think of a better person to express saving what you love locally than Russ. Russ is going to talk about how he came to experience local rivers and how it changed his life by dipping his head under the water and seeing what's been there all along. If you're enjoying the show, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts, and you can write a review in your own words uh, if you feel up to it. It really helps us get exposure for the program. And also, it is summer grilling season. If you are looking for a Father's Day gift, look no further than avaswild.com. You can find yourself a summer grilling experience kit there to send to your dad wherever he may be. Your dad will then get three months' worth of salmon delivered monthly, two fillets per month, flash frozen to his doorstep, also a Tom Douglas rub, a VR experience kit, and copies of both of my documentaries, The Breach and The Wild, for him to download and own forever. Once again, that's at avaswild.com. That's the word save, spelled backwards, wild.com. For today, please enjoy this amazing interview with Russ and have a wonderful week. I'll see you next time. How do you say what you love when the world is burning down? How do you say what you love and bushes come to shove? How do you say what you love when things are upside down? How do you say what you love Russ Ricketts, welcome. We're shaking hands. Look at hands. this, we're shaking hands. In the this same is the first, this is the very first recording of the Save What You Love podcast we've ever done in person. So are you talking with real people all those other times, <laughs> or is it just kind of? They're real people. They're real people. They're really good people. And uh, I tell you what, man, I'm having a ball with this. This is so much fun. And You're doing good, dude. Thank you. You're doing the good work. It's fun. It's not easy. You know, it, I don't know. This is one of those things. My aunt told me when I was a kid, she used to take me out to lunch, Aunt Judy, one of my big mentors, mm-hmm. and she always said, do whatever is like falling off a log to you. And to me, I, I don't know, talking and telling stories is that thing. So. I will not accuse you of not being able to talk. You're a big <laughs> talker, Titus. All right. Well, folks, um, what a treat today. Russ Ricketts, all the way from Leavenworth, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um the We've been friends one. for a long time now. It has started to add up. Yeah. We've gotten a little gray together. I know. I was just <laughs> noticing, yes. Shut up. All right. So I tried to do that. Was it just for men, but it doesn't work on your face? <laughs> Don't do it. See, I went in I went in for the I I cautioned the audience directly. <laughs> okay. I'll make these points. Every time I look at you straight, I'm telling you something important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're figuring out camera angles today right. too, which is really fun. So well look, uh you are an inspiration to me and a lot of other people for the work you do and for the kind of man you are. I'd like to just start out. Tell us your story. What, where, how did you come into this notion of immersing yourself, literally, in the things and the thing that you love? And where, how did you get to this point? 
Go way back, man. Tell us the whole thing. Way back. Yeah. I grew up on a river, so okay. I was always kind of... I grew up on a creek. It wasn't really qualified as a river, and uh, we just spent all summer swimming and camping and burning stuff, and, you know, and we set up a tent in June, and we took it down in August, and we just lived on the creek. And honestly, I really don't remember the creek that I live on really being particularly fishy. Mm. Like, there really wasn't a lot of salmon back then and trout and steelhead. Like, we didn't have these huge memories of there being fish. Mm-hmm. It was closed waters. We didn't fish. But just like that life in and around water, like I would sleep at night and my window was always open a little bit and I could just hear the creek outside mm. my window my whole life. And so I just kind of innately, you know, I'm like... Uh, just pretty connected with water. And then uh, kind of moving on, I, I went and worked in Alaska for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you, I think we were up there about the same time. Yep. Late 90s, well, all the 90s, actually. Mm. I was up there for all the 90s. And then uh, worked in Bristol Bay, worked on the beach gang at ECUC, which was uh, Ward's Co. Packing Company cannery, and unloaded fish, would jump in the hold of the boat. And filled with fish every day, again and again and again, around the clock. And had fished growing up, steelhead on the Stillaguamish River primarily, North Fork Stillaguamish. But kind of like came back and kind of realized just like the state of affairs with steelhead and salmon in Washington were really terrible. Hmm. You know, went from, like, there being, still being commercial fisheries for salmon in Puget Sound when I was a kid to, like, now there's no salmon as an adult. And that really kind of opened my eyes up to just, like, wow, this is a disaster. And I was young. I was in my 20s, and I just kind of went off and did other stuff. I started rock climbing a lot, and I started snowboarding a lot, and I just kind of went away from fish. And then came back when I moved to Leavenworth and my buddy Matt Collins was just like a fisheries biologist. And he's like, you should go snorkeling with me. We should go, let's go up and swim at the river. And going to the river where I live is like, like this, you could go to the river, pour yourself a cup of coffee at home. We're going to the river. We get to the river and you not only didn't drink the coffee, but the coffee was still too hot to drink. It's that close to town. So we go right there and I jump in and I'm seeing Chinook salmon that swam over 500 miles to be right there by my house. And I had done a little bit of snorkeling and so I saw this incredible scene and I was just like, wow. And my buddy was kind of on the same lines, you know, and so he was a, he was a biologist and basically was kind of already on the burnout track Hmm. for salmon sciences. Hmm. And so I picked it up, and he let it go, and I started snorkeling all the time. He kind of got out of it. We still swim a little bit together for fun, but, I mean, salmon is definitely kind of a a game for those with either a a level head or just you're not going to make it because the news is always kind of bad. But anyway, I started snorkeling a lot and coming from a background where 
like in rock climbing, everything is a known quantity. You know, this cliff is called this, this route is called that, mm. it is this hard, this is the moves, you know, this mountain is like this, is like that, you climb it like this, this is good style. And snorkeling, there was absolutely none of that. And I was able to um, basically have free reign over everything that I could see with no one there to tell me where to go or how to go or what to do or and so I basically just enjoyed you know about 10 years of just kind of rambling and exploring looking at blue lines on the map with driving roads kind of like for fishing but all these places are closed to fishing there's no one out there even fishing for them you know and so I was able to kind of explore a whole new world in a way that was based on primarily off just my own ideas. And to explore something like that for that amount of time meant that, number one, like you're going to come across some revelations and you're going to have a lot of inspiration. And then two, you get pretty weird too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. You know, you're... Getting weird. Yeah, well... Yeah, a little bit, you know, like and you spend a lot of time by yourself kind of immersing yourself in a artistic endeavor or a exploratory endeavor or a a self a journey of self understanding, like yeah, dude, you kinda go places. And I kinda went places that were good, you know, a lot of inspiration, a lot of adventure. And, you know, over the years I kinda generated some friends that I would go with, but never really, like ninety nine percent of what I do I by myself still to this day. But yeah, man, and so I started taking photos, mm. and I was terrible. Like, it was not matching <laughs> up, and then my buddy was snowboarding a lot, and he's like, dude, you got to check out this new camera. It's called a GoPro, and that was the first GoPro that the hero, and I was just like, oh, that looks a lot better than what I got going on. It's smaller. It's simpler. There's one button, and so I saved up money for a long time and bought a GoPro, and that's still the camera that I use to this day. I've, you know, they've gotten a little bit fancier, but I'm still kind of a one-button cameraman. Look, the the best camera is the one you got with you, True. Uh, as we know. And um, man, the less complex, the better. Yeah, the, it's pretty incredible what you can do in that tiny little package, and especially if you've got gear and you're underwater and you're fumbling around with stuff. Yeah, I see it. Look, there's like a hundred things I want to ask you based on. That lead up. I just gave you the thank, whole thing in like five minutes. Thank we're you. Done. Thank you for Thanks the for lead up. Thank you great, for Mark. the the breadcrumbs and the trail and the path <laughs> that leads us to Mount Russ. Um, but you know, speaking of mountains, that's the first thing I was thinking of. Um, as you know, I like to fish, and mm. um, more so for being connected in the water mm-hmm. with a fish. If I'm lucky enough, if that ever happens. Um, and lately, I've really been pondering that connectivity, looking up at the mountains, you know, standing in the Snoqualmie River or mm-hmm. in the Skagit, looking at the North, North Cascades. And it's an interesting transition to me that you started out growing up next to a river, and now you live in a mountain community, and you made that transition. Did you ever have a conscious connection about all of that stuff being... No. No? I mean, well... Yeah, I think that if you grow up, like, in the Puget Sound region, like, 
the mountains are always kind of these like compass points. Mm-hmm. Like you always kind of know where you're at. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you're in Florida, that's harder to do because there's no range of mountains that you can go. Well, that's east or yep. that's west, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that this is kind of talking about like what I kind of organically kind of had to develop over time. Like mm-hmm. did not go to college, barely made it out of high school. Was like basically, you know nicely asked do not come back to this place (laughs) john mathis you're the man (laughs) anyway uh i was i was yeah i mean cast out into the world like very little Mm -hmm. education but intuitive you know and so like basically kind of starting to formulate my own understanding about how the systems work like healthy forest healthy river healthy river, healthy fish. Yeah, exactly. You know, like having... And then I really started to ponder, like, the primeval landscape that I inhabit. And, you know, this has been hugely misaligned and misunderstood, the idea of pristine wilderness or whatever, you know, and what's now become more widely known as a pretty controlled ecosystem, but, like... It's hard to imagine what this place looked like in order for salmon to proliferate in the numbers that they did. Like, it was a so much vastly different landscape. And there was water and timber everywhere. Just everywhere. So naturally, fish are going to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, it... I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what I think about when I'm spending time by myself I I, mm-hmm. I search out like this still these remaining pockets of old growth or whatever and say like this is the ideal but really like this was right down here in the Duwamish mouth like this was right here there was I, fish spawning here I look at that frequently we take our little boat out into Puget Sound and Elliott Bay and look back at the city mm-hmm. we were just there last night and um, try to imagine what that was and what the the forest was like in the mm-hmm. mouth of that Duwamish teeming with Chinook. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and it wasn't that long ago. No. No. Well, so this is all kind of leading us toward a somewhat gloomy picture uh, in our local environs. Um, and yet there are some fish left. There are some places that are pretty amazing left and um, how do you with your work try to emphasize those things or do you like what is the emphasis of your work in terms of bringing images and experiences to people is it to garner hope is it to garner activism is it a um, testament to what was and what may be gone what how do, how do you how do you well, quantify it? Work is it? work is a tricky way to put it because I'm actually not in this business. I I don't work in fish at all. I'm a professional stagehand. I work in entertainment. Work's not been that great lately, but uh, this is just a passion thing for me. And you know, I donate my work or sell my work for a very reasonable amount of money. I license it to people like you, man. That's, That's right. how we met. Yeah. I was like, you're making a fish movie. I've got the fish footage. Here you go, buddy. I like what you're doing, and that's good for me. That's right. 
yeah, it, it, it's a tough thing. But I like to still think that there's hope. Mm-hmm. I like to think that even though salmon in the modern age is a... It's like an... I always said that it's like an aggregate problem with an aggregate solution. Like, there's like a million things that are broken. But that doesn't mean you can't still try and fix those things. Like, yeah, you know, that little little project that they did, they replaced that culvert or they fixed this part of the of the stream and kind of brought some connectivity back into there. Like, those things do matter. Like, it really does. And that's one thing that I noticed when I looked underwater. It was like, oh... This one root wad has 200 fish behind it. Like that one root wad, this one thing, this one object in a river is incredibly important. Hmm. And so there is hope that if we can just really magnify our commitment to these things, that it will actually work. Uh, Although we're up against like just people that, it's not that they don't care, it's just that this isn't part of their life, man. This isn't part of their jam. Like, they're just living and working and trying to survive, and it's hard, and it's they're just trying to pay the bills, and it's kind of like to have the luxury to care about things that don't directly impact you is it's just that. It's kind of a luxury, really, to have the time to care. And I've been in places in my life where I've had that time, and I've been in places in my life where I haven't had that time, mm. and I've just tried to just survive. And that's, well, I tell you, I mean, I try and instill hope. I try and instill, I try and feature the work of good people doing good work. And that to me is the work that I do. And it is work. Don't sell yourself short, man. It, it, It is, it is a body of work. It is unique and it is based on that word that you used, passion. It is passion. Yeah. And I'm going to dig into this a little further now. Uh, I, do you still sell your shirts? No. Okay. Well, you, for a while, Russ had these really cool, and I have one, and I, I just wear it just enough so I don't make it threadbare. <laughs> it falls all over you. But it's it's, it's a threadbare. it's a mask, it's and threadbare. you know I'll put it up in the show notes. It's a mask, and it says, know your local river or swim your local river. Uh Explore your local Explore. river. Explore. <laughs> Not either something one of those. Local river. That part Explore wore Explore your local river. Okay. This is the point, I think, that brings it home for me with, with this work that you're doing. Um, when you were talking earlier about looking at the map and trying to find these blue lines and where to go and how to – that seems so daunting to me. Like even the other day I was checking out the Snoqualmie River – going, hey, that looks like a pretty good drift to mm-hmm. do a, a snorkel, do a float, whatever. Um, but is it, do I know it is? Am I going to get sucked into the rapids or into mm-hmm. that log jam? I, you know, I don't, it seems kind of daunting, right? Bring it back down to your local river, to the thing that you know, to the thing in your backyard. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be daunting. I think yeah. it's what you told me and that's the feeling of hope that I get. It's like when I go and explore something that is in my home state, in my mm-hmm. home county, in my, you know, literally 20 minutes from where we're sitting right here, 
it doesn't seem so incredibly daunting and overwhelming. And, and at the same time, you're immersing and transforming by going into this other world that was there all along. Yeah. And um, has that transformed your way of looking at the world, especially where you live right now? There was some hope that that was kind of going to be the jam. Like, like, look, man, we can't save the whole thing. Like, I can't go and save uh, whales, right? There's no whales where I live. Like, I have very little daily interaction with whales. What I can go and save is this tree that they're going to cut down down the street. Mm-hmm. The city's going to cut down the street. I care about what's in my backyard. I care what's in my region. I care what's in my direct sphere of understanding. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're all, it's like, that's it. We're the aggregate solution to the aggregate problem is that if we all just kind of care about what's happening around us, guess what? There's a lot of us around everything else. Like, exactly. And we're happen to conveniently also be the problem that is causing all that heartache and heartfeltness. And, and, and so, yeah, if you can kind of just, like, do local work, then that is good work. You don't have to have these super broad-reaching ideals to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, what I do, like, <clears throat> in my own life, like, I would try and volunteer for this. I would try and volunteer for that. And in the end, I just realized, like, the work that needs to be done is just to feature the work of other people that are trying to do the same thing that I'm doing. And that, I mean, say what you will about social media, you know, great evil, great, you know, all that. But, like, what I've done is just say, like, this person over here is doing good work. And if you like what they're doing, follow them, you know, support this person, you know, share Mm -hmm. their work, inspire others to look at that work. And that really means a lot to a person who's just as passionate as me, who's out there, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon, you know, getting after it, trying to film their local fish or, or trying to do that. And so to share that work has been, and to make sure, like, always check back, like, hey, did that work for you? Like, did people come and follow you and support your, what they're doing? And they say, yeah, like, then that's a tremendous win for both of us. Like, I don't have any stake. Like, I don't run a company. There's no nonprofit. I run what I run out of a lawn chair in my garden shed, usually. That's where I like to go and post. Like, you've got a nicer garden shed, Mark, but it's the same I, idea. I don't know, man. I kind of dig yours, honestly. <laughs> a lot of days I'd rather but be there. you know what I mean, though? I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. doing what you can do with what's within your sphere of influence. And so... Yeah, that's that's really in the long way around. Like, yeah, what you care about around you can be influenced. I think what we're coming up against too in salmon though, is that we're going through all the motions, and we're doing all the right things, and we're 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 doing all the mechanisms that typically would work, and they're not working. Or we're not seeing enough buy-in from politicians. Mm-hmm. Or we're not seeing enough buy-in from the public at large. Like, we've talked about this so many times, man. And for you guys that don't know, like, Mark and I are are buddies that go way back. And we rarely talk about fish and more just about, like, how to navigate the world of trying to continue to to advocate for fish. Like, that's really the... And it's not easy. 
to do that. You know, it's well, it's a difficult business to care about something that is seemingly not coming back. All right, so we're we're dancing around this thing. So let's let's just let's dive into it. Let's dive into humor the, helps to the deep end. Yeah, humor, gallows humor. I don't know. I've talked to scientists, of course, and fishermen and uh, commercial fishermen and sport fishermen, and um, you're you're looking at it from a different perspective under the water. Um, now, granted, you know you're not in every river in right. the region all the time. Nobody can do that, but um, you've seen your fair share of a cross section in at least in Washington State. And where are we at? I mean, what is what is this? On your estimation, what is the current state of affairs for Samanids uh, in the Pacific Northwest? I mean, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. You know, if you, I think that it's unfair when people say that, like, well, we can't compare this to historical highs. Mm-hmm. We we can't go back there, and you're just like, well. Yeah, I know you can't go back there, but like this is what it really actually was, and so how do you define good? Are you know it's it's kind of a a BS kind of shifting baseline excuse to get out of that. To be honest, like well we're doing pretty good. We've got five hundred fish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like well that's actually not very good. That's not really good at all. Like you need five thousand. You need fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. We need five million. That's good. Mm-hmm. And it, to 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 continually hear the the drum beat that like, you know, everything's going to be okay if we just have more hatcheries or if we just kill some sea lions or, or whatever, like, you know, it's always the other guy. Yeah. It's always the other guy. And it's like, no dude, it's really, it's all of us. It's me wanting to drive my car. It's me wanting to live in my house. It's me wanting to like have things like we're the problem. Yeah. And if you don't see it from your house, who cares? Like really? Like, this is, this is just the way of the world. I mean, you can't fix all these problems. And so the state of salmon in Washington is that it's, I, I, I mean, the, the, I don't talk to fishermen, and I'm not a fisherman. I mean, I know there's nothing against fishing. I talk to mostly scientists. And when you go to their meetings, they're just like, oh, yeah. And you look at the graph, and it just goes, I mean, they all know it's going to zero in a lot of regions. Now there's some obvious bright spots, you know, where we've taken extraordinary actions and made extraordinary commitments to salmon. We're seeing extraordinary results, like in the Elwha, Mm -hmm. which is like, to me, the only thing a lot of times that keeps me in the game is to think like, no, if we actually do do this and we actually care enough to make like an incredible commitment, then we can definitely see results. And they are seeing results. Like, that's, yes, that's what we're talking about here. Elwha is extraordinary. Um, And you listed some really important factors as to why we're floundering here. Um, Political will, right at the top of it. And both, you know, with our elected officials and with the public, us, holding those officials accountable. 90% of people in this region say over and over again that they would vote for, do what is necessary 
to support the survival of wild salmon. And yet, when hard issues come up, like removing the lower four Snake River Mm -hmm. dams, somebody suggests something and the rest of the crew hastily dismisses it because it's not the right package. And so I've heard some politicians say a few things, but I'd like to know from your perspective on the ground, what's it going to take to catch this flywheel of public participation from people in their local communities? They're exploring their local rivers, exploring their local creeks, exploring their local ponds, just getting excited, man, about life, about something that, you know, these what these salmon represent, which is something bigger than ourselves, you know. Um, you've done it. And I think you are a uh, beacon for other people to, to see what's under the surface. What's the first step? How do we start this thing? You know, when they... I think the most seminal moment that I've seen for salmon is when people that weren't involved at all with salmon got involved with wanting to save killer whales. Interesting, yeah. The killer whale people got numbers that the salmon people would die for. Mm-hmm. There was little kids writing little little letters to Jay Inslee on their, save the whale, you yeah. know, and it's like, you know, and all these people that, like, never really cared too much about salmon, and rightfully so. It's not really that it's not in their life. You don't see salmon. But it's killer whale. They were all over it. Mm-hmm. People were writing in record numbers. People were calling the governor's office like no one had ever even seen. And they established a task force. And everybody, you know, all the nonprofits and all the government agencies and all the tribes and everybody all went down there and conducted these giant set of meetings and absolutely nothing happened. That was of no... yes but not the dams. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, man, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. And I felt like all that was, to be completely honest, is everybody got paid and nothing happened again. And that's just what I see over and over and over again. That there is a business behind salmon, and yeah. a business behind recovery, and a business that's involved with spending salmon recovery dollars. And... Of course, everyone wants to save salmon. But when the decisions that are involved with the recovery of these species are so centric to boardrooms and to endless amounts of meetings, people become disconnected from what they're actually trying to save. And it just becomes another product. It just becomes another... They lose sight of what's actually going wrong here in a way. Yeah. And it's just like, it's business. And they're just negotiating. And they're losing sight of the fact that, like, I don't need another task force to show me that the house is burning down. I'd really just like you guys to dump some water on it. That's cool. And I'm not seeing that, really. And I know, and this this is unfair to the people that work in salmon and salmon recovery. You guys are doing good work and I'm looking right at you. You're doing good work. But at the same time, there's a sense of urgency that seems to be missing here. And 
sitting in on some of those meetings and, and listening to the endless negotiations about who gets what, honestly, like, they're losing sight of the bigger picture that, like, rapidly, these are not coming back. Rapidly. Jay Inslee had a really golden opportunity to tear down those dams. He didn't need anybody's permission. He could have just did it. And instead, he didn't. And I'm a lifelong Democrat. I get it. He had a lot at stake. He, he was trying to, to do the right thing. But in the end, like, those dams could have come down. And they could have been done down, come down cheaply, as Jim Waddell has told us, from the top of his lungs for years and years and years. And it could have worked. I'm really surprised, honestly, that the state of Idaho or the Confederated Tribes of Idaho aren't suing the state of Washington in federal court. Like, I don't understand, like, why are they not taking us to court? Like, why are you saying that, like, basically the actions in your state are contributing to the decline of salmon in our own and basically, like, we're going to have some words about this. Like, wh where's Idaho and all this? I know that the senator from Idaho, extremely, I mean, I'm, we're all very thankful. And that's the kind of leadership that I want to see. Like, difficult decisions made quickly. Like, we don't need to study this problem anymore, Mark. Mm -hmm. We don't. Like, I have a lot of friends that are scientists, and I love the work they're doing. It's time to act. Mm -hmm. And it's time to, and yeah, and some of those big ticket items aren't that big a ticket if you really look at the budget that we're spending on other crap. Well, you know, Mike Simpson Sorry. from... Sorry. <laughs> Just no, got Hey, man. I tried is, to stay calm and not go... Why, this is why we signed up here. Um, <laughs> Just, this is the hard work. Let's get a uh, drink a little of a coin and cool down here for yeah. a second. Representative Simpson... Uh, from Idaho. Yeah. And he, it is a representative, yes. He's a representative. He is a senator, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Senator, okay. Um, yeah, he stepped out, and from what I've read about his genesis on this journey for himself, it was in a backcountry trip he was on. He was looking at water. Yep. He was affected profoundly yeah. about the multi-generational effects that his action or inaction mm -hmm. would have right now mm -hmm. uh, based on the position that he is privileged to hold yeah. as a representative of the people. And as we know, of those uh, who are into uh, John Muir and the national parks, and um, I also think, you know, America's best idea, as mm -hmm. Ken Burns has, has posited, um, in large part happened because two people took the time to go experience it. Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir out in the, mm -hmm. the back 40. And um, that's kind of where I'm going with this is like how do we – it's – how do we encourage folks? How do we make accessible to folks? Can we use technology in ways that we haven't done yet? Not everybody's going to – you know, how long did it take you to get me out in a river? It took about a year. And it, it, it wasn't because I didn't want to. It was because, man, I got to get the wetsuit and I got to drive east of the mountains and I got to clear my calendar and I got this and I got that and life. Mm -hmm. And it's all BS and it's a it's a, an excuse. And, of course, you know, that all led up to a miraculous afternoon, like mm -hmm. one of the most 
beautiful and memorable afternoons I've had in my adult life mm -hmm. by spending several hours in the river with you and some friends. And But, I mean, that's just like, it can't all be like that, dude. That's what I'm saying. It can't so, be like that. It's like the only reason I got into snorkeling is because I got a river like five minutes from my house. And five minutes is a lot. I mean, I got to the river in one minute. Yeah. But I had to drive four minutes up the river to get to the other spot. You know what I mean? Like, most people don't live like that. They live where they live. They care about what they care about. That's you know? true. But can you find wonder, the same sort of wonder? What What is the... Um, well, David James Duncan talks about it in in um, in My Story is Told by Water. You know, he grew up on by Johnson Creek in mm -hmm. Portland, which was a nasty mm -hmm. backwater trip of the Willamette. And, um, and he still found wonder. He found connection in... The eye of a coho in in connecting with a steelhead that had wandered up that system, mm -hmm. and not look. We're not all fishermen and fisherwomen. We're not all snorkelers. But like, I guess that's the point of the conversation here. Is like, what can we do to increase this awareness of wonder that leads us back to these source points, which are, you know, the um, the, the places where salmon thrive, they, these rivers and mountains and streams, you know. Um, I guess the, the, the short Disney answer is like, get out there, experience it. But as you've well pointed out and I pointed out, it, it's not that easy for most of us, mm -hmm. especially if you live in the city. Um, what are some other ways that you've experienced that sort of wonder without that kind of access? Well, I think that, like, media plays an important role here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like, do you remember the first time when we all saw, like, Planet Earth, and we were like, goddamn, like, wow. Yeah. Like, that exactly. is incredible. Yeah. And then there was just, like, a million nature documentaries that came out after that. And after a while, like, even if it has the most incredible footage or whatever, like, yeah, I just want to watch, you know, my two dads or whatever that other show you know what I mean <laughs> you just want to watch something else because you don't want to think about that all the time but like I think that there's a couple of vectors that are really important as kids is making sure that kids have access to nature yeah. and like not only access to nature but like some kind of like guidance when they access nature you know it's like nature is always pretty like wow that's pretty but at the same time like going well, that's really pretty, but, you know, like, here's what this actually is, you know, and, and check out this, and here's a little factoid about that, and here's what you can do to learn about your trees or your birds or, you know, like, one of the most, like, we had a really great uh, nature experience here in a park in Seattle the last time I was in town. Mm -hmm. I walked through, and I was looking at all these trees, and none of them were native. They were planted there from all over the country and the world, and we were like, you know, using a little app, and I'm like, this tree is this. I'm like, wow, that's gorgeous, and, and that's that. So, I mean, it's available. It's about just, like, inspiring people to actually, like, go a step farther at that critical junction when they go to somewhere. It's not just a photo backdrop, dude. You know, like, we see that a lot with with young people, that the world is just kind of like this this backdrop for their 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 social media stories or whatever like that. It's like, no, these are incredibly magnificent sacred places that are yours, dude. This isn't England. 
the king don't own that, man. You can go in that river, which is the way it is in England when someone else owns yeah. the river right? or owns that land. Yeah, you can walk across it, but don't linger too often now. Like, no, we actually changed the narrative, and we can go there. We can go and, and camp and go. With COVID, I saw a lot of people that were, this is my first time. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, that's super cool. Is there somebody or some, you know, way that we could say, like, hey, that's super cool. It is so good to see you, my man. It's so good to see you out here, ma'am. Now, could you please not throw your trash on the ground? Because in the city, who cares? This ain't your town. You know, you don't own that skyscraper. You don't own that street. You don't own this place. You just are subservient to it. You live here. You do your best. But no, out here, you do own this. We all own this. And to to treat our wild spaces differently than we treat our public spaces, you know? And that's a conversation that is difficult to have. But honestly, like, I don't know how else to do it. Like, nature isn't for us. We are simply just tourists in it. Like, the needs of nature are not dependent on our needs. And that's the bottom line. Like, nature doesn't need us, man. We are there to experience it and treat it with a little bit of reverence and I'll see you next time nature gotta go back to work you know and and that's the relationship that I have with nature like no I have no right here I treat it with respect and I'm out and I'll I'll see you next time nature and I got nature right in my backyard dude I go out the back porch and get nature if I really want it but like it's still the same relationship of like Thanks for having me. I'll do my best. You know, and that's where you can turn the tide with people that are new to nature in any way. Like, yeah, we're talking about fish or whatever, but like the same conversation applies to everything. Absolutely. And I, you know, I won't try to um, quote uh, the oft cited Chief Self, Chief Seattle. Um, speech is beautiful um, and wherever it originated from there's always, there's been some you know uh, discussion that maybe it didn't come directly from his mouth it doesn't really matter it came from that era um, it came from the ethos that he prescribed and his people lived for 10,000 years in this region and that is we don't own this thing we are a part of this thing mm-hmm. we are not the domineering masters and I think ultimately that is where there is just sort of this binary cutoff of like either you believe that or you don't. You believe that in this manifest destiny idea that we are here to reap the benefits from nature for humankind. And if you, but if you can get to that tipping point of, oh yeah, I see how I am part of this landscape that that mountain provides, the snow on the mountain provides the water for the river, which feeds the roots of the trees, which literally contains salmon because the salmon have gone out to the ocean and brought the nutrients and died at the base of those trees. And these things are all connected. And if you see that, if you experience it 
in that way, in a profound way, even a small way, and, and just make that connection that, oh, yeah, I'm a part of this thing, but I don't necessarily dominate or should dominate over this thing. We have a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to what you said earlier about taking a selfie or things, you know, like with technology. And honestly, man, I don't care what it takes. You take great selfies. What are you talking about? No, not me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. That last one, amazing. Yeah, I know. Well, it's because I got this really great selfie stick. (laughs) But look, um, I think that there is a real opportunity in technology. And, you know, honestly, whatever... Mm-hmm. there's a thousand roads to Mecca and whatever it takes. And if it is literally young people posting cool pictures of trees, I don't really care what it takes to get there. If there, if it elicits an appreciation for and a hunger for more, but more so um, on the, the fact of what you were talking about, seeing just outside of your back door. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I got like uh, a little, um, bird book and um, there's all kinds of free resources that you can get from Audubon Society Mm -hmm. you can get an app to to check out the the birds in your area they've got even the the calls on them Um, Washington Trails Association is another group that um, you can access all of what it has for free there's things that are out there to be able to access and appreciate those things that we do have access to right um Robin Wall Kimmerer, a wonderful author of uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, mm-hmm. talks about naming a thing, and um, and I think that we're all we're coming continually back to this um, to this this idea that you are living in and that you are championing with your work, which is explore your local, explore if that's the birds on the back porch. Like you said, like coming up with a name, uh, understanding the name of the trees that are around us, the grasses, the the um, the herbs. That that to me is something we can do, and you do all of a sudden have a bigger, deeper appreciation and feeling of connection once you've associated a name with this thing. Mm-hmm. You've done this underwater. Yeah, you can you can do that. I kind of want to touch back there real quick. Yeah. Like you can I think there's a difference between like understanding what you're looking at and understanding like the names and, and things like that, but also kind of like without taking ownership of it in a way that like you can be protective of it, but you can't own it. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. it has to this isn't for us, and that's a tough one. That's a tough one, because that's what we do, man. You're Absolutely. here on 7th and fifty, you know, 51st on the corner of this, and this, you know, like, this. that's how we understand our world is to name things. Like, I don't, like what fishermen would call hot spot. Like, mm. I don't talk about locations, about where I go. <laughs> I don't, I religiously don't talk about locations, about where I go. Mm-hmm. Because I saw the power of what that can do to a special place. And to go and encourage, the game is to encourage people to go and find their own special places yes. around them and say, like, that might be the city park. That might be Absolutely. the little thing that right down there. That might be the ditch that goes behind your, you know, you're like, oh, what the other? You're like, wow. Like, 
see there are all these birds. Where's your and, Johnson Creek? <laughs> oh, it's up there on Cabin, you know, yeah, yeah. Rock Canyon Creek, or yeah. what's the other one that I always say? Rock Creek, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you just pick the most common name and go with that. But but <laughs> but like that that you're just like what you're talking about, Mark. Like nature is 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 there if you're willing to obs- to take the time out for it. You know, you got the you got the bird app, and you got the just walk around in the, in down your street, down in by the park, down by the beach, whatever. And like, oh my gosh, look at that! You know, red-breasted nuthatch. Yeah. You know, that's and there's there's a sense of protection in that without ownership. Like you can't Absolutely. control that bird. Absolutely. Birds are a good example, actually. You know, you like, it just flies away if it doesn't like what you got going on. You're that's like, right. Where'd he go? Well, he doesn't like your jam, you know. He's he's out, man. But you can love something and not own it, and you can appreciate something and not own it. Like we, yes, technically we kind of own those public lands that I was kind of pontificating about. But at the same time, we're caretakers, stewards. Stewards. It's a good word. Steward. (laughs) Steward. I, I, I love that word. It's come, it's, I always thought it was kind of a clunky word growing up, but it, I think it is. It's like it, it implies a, an ephemeral sense. Mm-hmm. You're passing through time. You're not, you don't grab and own and hold and attach. Mm-hmm. You observe and you can love. Yeah. Um, deeply. Like stream but, keepers. In, mm-hmm. You know, those were, those were, that was a job. I mean, we would have been good stream keepers too. Yeah. Tweeds. Did you see us with some tweeds? You're like, <laughs> Titus, what kind of fish is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're on the king's land. Bring, bring me the nets. <laughs> bring up the nets, lads. Go uh, into town and turn yourself into the constable. <laughs> that's right. You are. The missus will tweed. be having this one. <laughs> yes. We just need more tweed. But we need more tweed. I don't know if we need more tweed, man. That just makes me. Pucker a little bit. Um, this has been a tough year, this last year. The toughest. Yeah. Um, How did you make it through, and what are you looking forward to on the horizon here in terms of collaborations? How do you think collaborations can um, work when they work well? Well, uh, I work in live entertainment. Mm-hmm. I worked in live entertainment. I'm a rigger. I work on big television shows and big, like, what you would imagine a roadie would be, but I'm not a roadie. I don't tour with a band. I work on projects, and then I go home. Kind of different. I'm on the road, but I'm not a roadie. Uh, That all promptly ceased and has yet to come back in any meaningful way. And uh, so 2020 was the worst year ever. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't thrive. I barely survived. Uh, it was horrible. It was horrible, man. I mean, it was uh, absolutely devastating to just have the world at large come a lot closer to meltdown than we care to admit, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the the Cuban Missile Crisis of our time, like, man, it was getting crazy there. And it could still get kind of crazy, and uh, I think it was a real cautionary tale about how we 
choose to treat each other. And I was just so saddened and shocked by the lack of just humanity, man. Like, just, like, humanity. Not, you know, patriotism or any of that shit. Just, just... I saw a great deal of people giving their all for this, you know. And then I saw people that were just petty and cruel and and heartless. And sometimes we took turns on that, (laughs) you know. Like, some days I'm crying and other days I'm, like, raging at my device. (laughs) It It was horrible. But anyway, I didn't really swim at all last year. I didn't really film at all. I took, like, six months off of posting. I just couldn't do it. I just thought, like, this is kind of... I just didn't have the jam, man. I lost my mind in late summer as far as just kind of, like, massive adrenal overload slash massive uncertainty. And, you know, I... I picked up another job and and just kind of sputtered and thrust my way through it and tried to keep my family together and food on the table. And, and you know, uh, it was like one of the most hardest experiences of my life. You know, like we go through life and think like, I got this. Right. You know, we got this. I'm me. I'm Mark Tedis. I got this. You know, it's like sometimes you don't got it, Mark. Sometimes I don't got it. And, you know, and you've been forthright about that. Yeah. And, like, dude, like, the the compassion and humanity that you have shown me is some of the greatest that I've ever experienced in my life. You know? Like, I... That's the glue that keeps us going, man. It really is. Like, it, it was... Here's the dark side of it, of the whole conservation and is that it sounds all romantic that we're going to fight the man and we're going to chain ourselves to a tree and we're going to save the whales and we're going to do all this when you actually become intimately aware of just how massive the machine is that humanity is it can be kind of depressing and it is it takes a special kind of person that's able to compartmentalize and keep on going to continue on in that fight. Or someone who can just kind of blindly turn a blind eye to the inevitable tidal wave. And, you know, like, I basically came out and told my readership, that, like, hey, dude, this is where I'm at. I've completely hit rock bottom emotionally and spiritually. And I love you guys, but, like, it was disingenuous for me to like sit there and try and show you pretty pictures every day or, or try and, and be excited about things when like I was really struggling and so many people came out of the woodwork and just said like truly I, I couldn't have been more wrong. Like humanity was there and, and I was gonna ask you what, what was the response? What was the response? Yeah, it was really uh, humbling. It was really humbling. I was wrapped up inside myself because, I mean, dude, that's where you live. You know? Like, how'd you end up living in a hoarder house? Well, one piece of shit at a time, you know what I mean? One piece of garbage at a time. And that's how we are as people. Like, we collect the things that happen to us and we 
accumulate these things and if you don't discard some of the negativity you know not the negativity I think that negativity has its place actually mm-hmm. but like if you don't if you can't get rid of some of that stuff that happens to you then you're just gonna stagger and that's what was happening to me my whole world was falling apart and people were just so incredibly gracious and understanding and supporting supportive that's how you say it right supportive Mm -hmm. that it kind of like it really set me straight you know I felt like you know I felt like I was at my own funeral in a way interesting you know what I mean like I saw the post I saw the post and it was beautiful yeah and it was real and it was raw and I I know what I know what you mean what you you (laughs) know like kind of being at your own funeral like I was like wow you know what I mean like but you know you didn't he, know how much you people love you until they actually like step up and say like and, no dude like Mark Titus like you said nice thing you know well, I love you yeah and, and that people are going through the same thing I mean in varying degrees like we've all got it man like in varying degrees some sense of recovery some sense of trauma you know some um, I don't and it, it supersedes socio, socioeconomic backgrounds. There are, which is not to say that that people that don't have as much of a leg up in this world, being born into whatever socioeconomic background they're born into, uh, have it any better or any worse. It, I, I don't. I think that there are varying degrees for sure. But we all, as humans, feel trauma. And um, especially when it, we're going through something that's so ubiquitous as a pandemic. And so, you know, when you wrote what you wrote on your social media page um, about, you know, sharing this vulnerability, that was really inspiring. I mean, it was really grounding, too. Like, holy crap. Um, Social media don't like, like that kind of stuff. You know, like, you get it once or twice. You yeah. can't do that every day or you're just, you know, <laughs> just... You know, people are just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but it was real, man. And, um, and it, it touched my heart and I know it touched many people's hearts, the, the overwhelming responses that were in there. Well, so where does it, where, you know, given this last year that we had and the depths that you've gone and we all kind of have gone in as a collective species here, um, what does the horizon look like to you? What what is a what does work look like to you? The kind of work we're talking about about saving these things that we love. Well, I think we better understand that we need to be able to save ourselves too. Because mm-hmm. nature will be fine without us. It doesn't need us. Like you know, like if we can't show the slightest bit of compassion in and understanding to our fellow human beings and how are we ever going to save some rando endangered species you know you're just some like little frog that lives in a water hole in the desert dude who cares you know like what's it matter well it does matter you know like that person that you're so 
in such great disagreement with about their opinion, they kind of matter, actually. You know, and there's a little grain of truth inside of all, inside of all of us. And so if we can't learn to get along, then we've got real problems. And we've got real problems. We can do both. But, like, we need, like, some... This is, like, one of those... Here's the crazy thing. It's, like, Sam's one of those things that's, like... We can kind of get behind that. You know? Mm-hmm. We can kind of get behind that, man. Like, this is, like... This is why people root for sports teams. Like, you can get behind that. Yeah. You know, like, I can get behind, you know, saving this this incredible species. Like, it's... It ain't gonna hurt me none, you know? I got the cheapest power in the country, dude. I can leave all the lights on in my house all day and night, and it won't even cost me that much money. You know what? I'm willing to pay a little bit more. I'm paying a little bit more. Like, all that money in this state that comes from salmon recovery comes from those dams. Right. I live in the Columbia River Basin, and yeah, dude, I've got cheap power. Sorry, King County, but I do. Well, Seattle does too, and... uh the schedule people are now asking for uh, <laughs> Seattle for those of us yeah. living here to pay their fair share. But that's another story for another day. And, sure. And you know what I'm it's an that. important one. But yeah, it's true. You can get behind this. You like, can. It, it doesn't hurt. And that, the point that um, I bring up to my friends in the upper Skagit tribe and, and uh, folks that live in Skagit Valley that are working on this super important issue is that, look, I bet. 95% of people living in the city of Seattle don't know about this. And if they do, to your point, they, they will want to get on, on board with this and pay a little more. Pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Put your money where your mouth is. Walk the walk. And I certainly feel that way. Um, One interesting thing is figure out where your drinking water comes from. Mm. Like if you get it out of a well, it comes out of the dirt. You don't really, it's kind of abstract concept. Yeah. But city of Seattle like, gets their water from the mountains yes not just you know i've actually gone up with folks from the city of seattle and some nonprofit folks to go up and survey for steelhead and some of those drainages incredible like you have no idea where your water comes from it comes out of like some of the most beautiful like country you've ever seen and the water that you're drinking is incredible like it's really something yeah and it used to have a lot of fish in it, and they're still trying to make sure there's still some fish left in there. But, like, understanding, like, this kind of comes back around, like, you can save what you can touch and you can actualize. Like, understanding where your water comes from is kind of like one of those things. Like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be spraying herbicide on our national, on our, you know, timberlands. Right. If that's going to come down into the reservoir where... I or just anybody drinks that stuff, you know, or or seeps into the groundwater and, and contaminates wells or whatever. If you want to put a human centric spin on it, sure. If that gives you to give a, shit a little bit more, then that's great. If I can get like one percent more caring out of you, if you put a human face on it, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But really, you don't need a human face on it to really like. You shouldn't need a human face on it to care more. You know, like. The way that we're treating the land, the way that we're treating the oceans, the way that we're treating our air, and everything around us is, it's abstract at a certain point, dude. It's just noise. Like, and this is where the depression comes in. <laughs> well, I want to... Because it's like, dude, it's overwhelming. It's it, truly overwhelming. And then 
you put your head underwater. Yeah, it helped. I, I would love to hear, as we start wrapping this conversation up for today, um, what was the one, one or two, most kind of profound moments that you felt alive and connected snorkeling in, in a river? And um, what did that look and feel like to you? Well, it's like everything, you know. It's kind of like, it's, most of the experiences that I had when I was first starting out, it was like really exciting and fun. Is, is this wrong? Can I compare this to sex? Like, first of all, you just want, you know, to understand even like, what is this thing? <laughs> yeah. And then you want that thing, and then you have a lot of abstract ideas about what that thing is supposed to be. And then you understand that it's a more meaningful experience. And then you, you kind of understand that it's a lot of work, and that it's not always easy to be in, in love with something. So when I was first snorkeling, it was really exciting, dude. It was a tremendous, like, exploration unlimited. Like, anywhere I wanted to go, no one knows what that looks like down there. It changes every year, actually. You know, river changes, whatever. Swam here, river changed, it's dry land. You know, like, a lot of excitement and a lot of inspiration and... I was really in love, and I just really wanted that. I needed it. And then it suddenly became, like, the realization that, like, this is a lot more of a complex thing than, than what I anticipated. And most of those experiences were kind of tinged with sadness. Hmm. You know, like, the most seminal experience that I ever had was where a cold water creek came into a warm river. And it was in 2015, and our rivers were like 70-some degrees. Fish were dying. A half million sockeye salmon just disappeared in the Columbia River in between two dams. No one ever, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fat sturgeon after that, whatever. But I found this little cold water creek in the middle of the hottest summer that anyone could ever remember. And I was just floating along, and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, look at all these fish. Whoa, 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 there's a lot of fish. Like, there's a lot of fish here. And then I realized that this little insignificant creek was running, like, almost 20 degrees colder than the river that I'm swimming in, and all these fish were sheltering in this tiny plume of cold water. And that, to me, was like, oh, my God. Like, these fish just swam 500 miles to get here, over seven dams, and past, like, innumerable things. And here they are. They made it home. And then everything warmed up, and there was nothing that anybody could do. Like, any other fish that happened to be in that river in any other place probably died. But the ones that made it here are holding on. And that, to me, was a moment of great revelation and understanding and 
it was the moment when I realized that loving something is a lot more difficult once you finally have it. You know, like, I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is all these fish have. They could only be right here. Hmm. If they swim outside of this plume of cold water, they immediately begin to go into respiratory distress and can die just from swimming over there. Same water, same river, just on the other side. And so it was like snorkeling became like, whoa, hold on. Like, my presence here has an effect. Like, I'm not just some invisible Aquaman dude. Like, if I jump in there, they're all going to scatter, go hell's bells to the corners. Mm -hmm. And I could kill half the school of fish if I just wanted to just go in there and just hang out and just splash around. Like, a guy playing with his Labrador retriever on the right day could kill hundreds of fish in that kind of a situation by simply displacing them from the environmental conditions that they needed to survive. Like, go get a boy. He never saw the fish. Right. The dog's just chasing the stick. Right. And all those fish just scatter out there and begin to immediately suffocate. And that's when it really dotted the eye on, like, holy... Like, we are in really bad shape and this is really not getting better, and we really need to treat the crisis that is salmon with a lot more urgency. And I don't have a lot of patience for agencies or politicians or leaders of any ilk that don't treat it with that same level of urgency. Like, it's not in their spear, bro. It's just a line item that they don't understand the urgency. And that's really where I'm at, man. At this point, like, I don't hold a lot of faith that they're going to do the right thing. Like, they had uh, a magnificent and hugely popular initiative to take down those four Snake River dams, for instance. And they chose to, like, do everything but. It's hard to understand. Like, own it. Let's own it. Let's tear those down. But, you know what I mean? Like, let's do it. Let's see what happens. You bring up two incredibly strong forces here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, both of which led, in my own personal life, um, to seeking recovery. And that's love and grief. Yeah. And what an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. It made that, no sense to the viewer. They it, were just like, this guy is the biggest rambler ever. <laughs> I, I was with you, man, in that cold flume and uh, kind of feeling it right now. Um, I'd like to experience that again. Um, that kind of uh, little bit of home water, you know, that's mm-hmm. that salvation that you get in, in, in that um, nascent, natal stream um i i hope that we don't have to go to a period of such grief that people finally have the will to take action like we've been talking about this entire hour um but between grief and love i think that those those are the two Mm -hmm. those are the two primary emotions that are going to get us there if we have a hope at all. And thank you for elucidating that, that story. Cause that, that's what I was feeling while you were telling it. 
Um, all right, so bonus round. Okay. No one escapes the bonus round. And speaking of hot water, let's let's different kind of heat. Let's say, knock on wood, that your your house were on fire. You can only bring out one physical thing. What is that thing? Uh, your kid and your wife and your critters are all. Thanks for making me not choose. Completely. Thanks for making safe. Me not standing on the choose. curb, you can bring one physical thing. I. I don't know. I I don't. I'm remodeling right now. Okay. <laughs> And when you remodel, you realize, like, how much you own that really seemed important before you started to have to put it in the boxes and move. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I got everything I need already on the curb, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't come from a lot of means, so there's not really a lot of value in there. You know, like, uh... I guess I need the car keys <laughs> to get the car. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what are you uh, attaching something? I think I you said know. it all, man. It's all yeah, out there I mean, the I curb. guess. Do we have tacos? <laughs> <laughs> tacos. Yes. I don't know. I mean, what do Go you, for the what do you take? I, I don't take. I, I. All right. Well, let's matriculate on then to the more okay, of the, is this the spiritual things now. Okay. Two two things. About I, you that make you you, what are those two things that you pull out of the fire? Uh, boy. Two things about me that make me me. I don't know. That's, that's tough, man, because you've got... I think that one thing that happened this last year is that we all had our sense of self challenged. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people kind of like just lived their best life in the last year. And a lot of people uh, suffered more than they ever suffered before. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of like, well, how do you define, how do you choose to define yourself? You know, like, am I my job? Am I my, you know, my, my husband and my wife and dad and my daughter? Like, I, we're just a big hot mess, man. I think that we're all kind of just, honestly, it just, we're barely all holding on there. But some people do better than others. I don't know. I, 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 I know that I care very deeply, and I also don't have the answers. So it's kind of a confusing thing. You know? I know that a lot of people that operate in our sphere care very deeply. And I think the most important things to me are my my friendships and my family mm. because those are the people that I would they're the thing I would take out of the fire like I want to make sure that I'm coming out of the fire with like the people that I love or that you know what I mean yeah. like I don't know like I kind of am okay to admit that I'm a junk show I don't have a script I just am a junk show but that is okay, in a way. I don't know. Is there anything you'd leave behind to oh, burn yeah. up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, yeah. pray tell, would that be? Oh, God. Don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, it's just like, 
when you look at it, dude, like we're like we accumulate all this stuff. You know, I yeah. kind of said hoarder house earlier, but like th- that's kind of like you accumulate all these negative and positive emotions and things and memories and all this. Shit. It's like it's all hugely questionable, to be honest. Like, what is all this? Like, most of the shit in my house is like things that I did that I don't do anymore. Mm. Like, I used to rock climb a lot. So I got like totes of rock climbing gear. I got rock climbing books. I got rock climbing clothes. I got rock climbing this and that and this and that. I don't even climb anymore. Actually, I am climbing again. (laughs) But it was things that I cared about a lot at a certain time, so I gathered all the stuff up. And then I I moved on, you know? And I, I haven't been snorkeling so much lately but I still, I'm not moving on from it, but, like, uh, of, of my physical objects, like, I see myself living a, a certain kind of life, and it's really hard to live that life. Like, I just want to, like, be passionate about whatever I want to be passionate about. I want to be able to follow my interests. If I, like, if I want to show interest in a weird an obscure part of the world, then I want to have the freedom to do that. Like, that, to me, is who I am most happy about doing, like, learning about the trees, learning about the birds, learning about space. You know, it was like planets and stuff the the other year. I was like, we learned about the constellations. Like, that's what I'm most happy to be able to be independent of any other person. Just, like, just me. That's when I'm most happy. Now, I got a kid, and so, like, all that stuff is actually turns out to be pretty damn valuable mm. when you're, like, your kid looks up and goes, what's that? And you're, like, well, that is Jupiter, and let's get out this telescope that I had when I was really super into stars, and let's go look at that sucker, and you know what I mean? And she's uh, a wonderful person as well as my wife, like, endlessly patient from my weird hobbies and stuff like that. But really, it's just like a childlike fascination for the world, man. Like, get engaged with something and pursue it with real passion. And that is about as good as you could ever hope for in life. I mean, that's what I do. That's the way I roll. So, rock climbing gear. Oh, yeah. yeah that's no. what you love. I'm rock climbing again, yeah. Okay. I'm fat now. It's yeah. like the, the the fat rock climber. Well, yeah, dude. I see me. those other people. I'm like, yeah. God, man, they're just amazing, svelte and like little ninjas. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and. It's not too late to start snorkeling, though. Yeah, no, it's not, okay. and um, I'm, I'm gonna meet you there. But uh, I'll interject that perhaps your answer by all of this was kind of to let the the last year burn up in the fire. Oh God! Some people had a good time in 2020. Yeah. Is it wrong to hate them for that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. All right. Well, we're going to park it there for today. I know, you know, we've all got our own axes to grind here. But uh, it is so cool to be able to meet in person. <laughs> this feels like it's happening, like life is happening again. I know. Real life is happening again. Seeing you in person. The next step is to jump in the river together. I can't wait to do that later this year. I'd just be happy just to see you. Like, we can go swimming anytime at... It's just good to see you, man. To be honest, it was... Yeah, I think that we have lived through an age that we have yet to name. Oh, yeah. Like, this has been something that is fundamentally changed, and our 
we have yet to comprehend what we have experienced. Completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. You have to just shut me off because I can just go. Well, I would love for you to tell us how to follow what you're doing. How do we find you on social media? Uh, uh, how do we get involved with the work that you're up to? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, River Snorkeling is the only account that I really do anything with. And it's River underscore Snorkeling. It's not me. Uh, I just ran it out of my woodshed, garden shed now. I've upgraded. used to be the woodshed. Now it's the garden shed. But... Uh, it's just a collection of people that I support their work. You know, you do good work, get a hold of me. And I'll use this thing to push it your way. It's 100% about the other person. It's 100% about making sure that this person whose work I'm sharing has got the mic, they got the microphone and they've got the audience to do whatever they want. And that's important. It's a real bucket filler for, for them. Like, there's no money in it for me, unfortunately. You know, like, I'm just not going to go there. I'm, I, there's, I, in my way, I, I can't really profit off that. So that's pretty much it. That's it. This river snorkeling. It doesn't matter what you do, man. It doesn't matter what you do. Just go kind of, you know, live with passion. Amen, brother. There's got to be some French term for that that I just don't know. Maybe Latin, you know. Oh, man, I'd try it, but Domi would just laugh at me. Uh, <laughs> Joy de vivre. Probably backwards. Yeah. All right, Russ Ricketts, it's great to see you, brother. And uh, I'll meet you at the river, man. All right. See you later on down the trail. All right. How do you say what you love? How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Save What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save, spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.